want to get the edge with your Premier League betting predictions, Pinnacle have teamed up with InfoGoal to delve deeper into the data for all the Premier League matches each game week. You can buy betting market data with InfoGoal's performance data to try and find Pinnacle customers' value in the odds. This is EPL Insights. Welcome to EPL Insights. We are off and running the new Premier League season. We're a weekend and plenty of panic and elation all have come together already. A predictable ending to an unpredictable first match week. And we're with you once again, presented by InfoGoal right here on Pinnacle. Gareth Wheeler alongside the Wizard of Oz, or should I say the Wizard of Odds. It's Jake Osgathorpe nice. from InfoGoal. Sorry, I've been working on that over the last 30 minutes. How'd it work <laughs> for you? Stay. That can definitely stay. Yeah. <laughs> it could yeah, be like just that. the wizard, the wizard of odd, but you know, <laughs> I guess it depends how much and how closely you know Jake. So yeah. <laughs> uh how'd the first weekend go for you, Jake? Good. Yeah, yeah. We had um we had quite a bit of success as well. Um Obviously, the football was great. Great to have the football back. But from a punting perspective, yeah, we, we called Brighton against Manchester United pretty well. Um, the Chelsea-Everton game, we absolutely nailed that in terms of the unders and, and the way in which that one went about. Got Arsenal and Crystal Palace a little bit wrong. Thought Arsenal looked pretty good in that first half in particular. Um, but yeah, overall, generally, and you know, Spurs looking good as well, which is something else we were on side with. So yeah, it, it, I think... I think one of the, one of probably my favourite bets was going against the grain and taking uh, Fulham on the handicap against Liverpool, and that obviously sailed in given the fact that they held them to a draw. So yeah, all in all, it was um, it was great to have the Premier League football back and great to obviously tip a few winners. Um, but yeah, there, there's some real storylines, aren't there, coming out? And oh, Manchester United are probably the main one at the moment, aren't they? <laughs> Uh, tumultuous to say the least. Uh, you can get at us anytime on Twitter at Gareth Wheeler at Jake Oz with two Z's. Uh, let us know your thoughts, your questions, and we'll try to engage with you on a weekly basis. It, it's one of those things you're right. The Fulham Liverpool 2 2 draw. The draw ended up playing at plus 521. Your play was on the handicap. Well done. Uh, United losing to Brighton uh, plus 475. A Brighton away win. It closed at that. I, I'm not sure if you look at trends, but like things were kind of split down the middle the way that the opening week played out. Five of the matches ended up over two and a half goals, obviously five under. Uh, five times both teams scored goals uh, in, in, in the same game. Ten teams actually scored exactly two goals. It was only Spurs who went on to score more than two matches, two goals in the game. Uh, did anything stand out for you in terms of the way that things played out? Because this season was always going to be a little bit different with the five, five substitute rules coming into play. Uh, obviously, the season starting a little bit earlier. So is there any other big picture observations that you had from match day number one? Um, not really. I think the one, yeah, you mentioned the five substitutes. That's definitely something to keep an eye on because we know that certain managers will use them tactically and certain managers will use them, um, just to sort of waste a bit of time. <laughs> and I think, I think with Antonio Conte made all of his five subs in the last 10 minutes of their match. So it was more of a, uh, including three in the 89th minute, if I'm uh, correct me if I'm wrong, which kind of suggests that he was quite happy to run his players into the ground, even though they were 4-1 up, um, and then just get a couple of minutes in the legs. Whereas obviously Manchester United, they were chasing the game early on, so they were requiring something different. Unfortunately, they don't have the quality on the bench to sort of make that kind of impact at the moment. So um, yeah, that's, that's something to keep an eye on. And I think it will make life um, very interesting, particularly if you're looking at players to score, for example, um, because you know if you've got someone who's maybe a second striker, 
not the first choice and your team, the team, their team goes behind, then there's every chance that they might get brought on a lot earlier than, than potentially they would have in, in seasons gone by just purely because there's more chance to make those subs. So uh, maybe some slight value in, in, in looking at you know, potentially substitute strikers, the likes of maybe a Chris Wood at Newcastle um, or Julian Alvarez at Manchester City, who probably won't start, but given the five subs rule and, and the basically gets changer in half your team, don't you, now this season, um, uh, that will definitely favour the forward positions as opposed to the defenders in terms of the substitutions. Uh, it's a great point. Also something to track in terms of what managers are better taking advantage of that and, 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 and who might not necessarily use or use it for other ways like Antonio Conte did on the weekend. Brentford was the one team that came from behind 2-2 um, to, to come back to draw with Leicester City. Only eight of the 20 sides ended up using their full allocation. Of course, when, you, when you're Liverpool and you bring on a Darwin Nunez, I mean, they came from a goal down twice in that game to get a point at Craven Cottage. So something that we will look at and monitor as the weeks roll on starting with saturday bright and newcastle both sides coming off a winning start a brighton were excellent against manchester united it's not just about united dysfunction this was a team that lost two of their top players in basuma and cucurella uh, didn't skip a beat casado stepped in played the basuma role to perfection pascal gross with the brace in that game uh and the 2-1 win at old trafford their first ever victory at Manchester United. As for Newcastle, pretty convincing. Fabian Scherer with a great goal. Callum Wilson added a second 2-0 win over um, Nottingham Forest. Uh, Look, Newcastle uh, won their last meeting um, against Brighton 2-1, but they haven't won or didn't win in their previous nine games where they faced Brighton. So um, I'm, I'm not sure what that tells you about where these two teams stack up or what they're, what you're looking at heading into the weekend. Uh, the line right now, the way that it is, and by the way, the best odds are on pinnacle uh, industry standard. The best odds are there. Uh, Brighton at plus 152 uh, plays for a home win, plus 236 for the draw, plus 206 for an away win for Newcastle United. How are you looking at this match here between Two sides that finished the season very strong last season and are making an early case that they're two teams to be dealt with this season as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's an it's a intriguing game, this, because um, as anyone who listened to the first show last week will know, uh, I'm a massive fan of Brighton, a massive fan of the way in which they've run the football club, massive fan in, in, in the way in which they just continue to consistently perform week in, week out, season on season, and particularly I'm a massive fan of Graham Potter. Um yeah, his side were excellent last week. Really, really excellent. And I think, you know, that what was kind of refreshing from a Brighton perspective and just in general was actually seeing the lineup of Brighton and the fact that they had so many attacking players on the pitch. Like, you know, you think of a the playing a back three and you'd think, oh, that's quite defensive. But, you know, it wasn't at all. He got Trossard and Solly March playing as the wingbacks, effectively. He got Lallana in central midfield with, you know, McAllister, Welbeck and, and Gross. And just, just yeah, it, it was basically a, a really attack-minded approach at Old Trafford, which I thought was really refreshing. And to be fair, at this moment in time, there's no reason to be scared of Manchester United at Old Trafford, which, you know, some sides will probably still go there and, and play with a bit of a fear factor. But Brighton don't need to do that. And um, yeah, fully got the, you know, a fully deserved win in that occasion. And um, the only issue that I have had with Brighton over the last few years has been, um, you know, from a data standpoint, they've been excellent, but the results haven't really mirrored. So they've massively underperformed when it comes to their expected goals uh, over the last two campaigns, particularly at the Amex, which 
um, you know, is, is a bit of an issue. You, you think last season, they had the fifth fewest points collected at home, but actually racked up the eighth most expected points. So they couldn't have been polar opposites in terms of the actual data um, and, and the actual results. So what that says to me is that the process um, of chance creation, chance limitation is really, really good at home. They've just been a little bit unfortunate. Um, and, and I would be concerned if this, if this kind of underperformance sustains longer. So if, if we see another full season of major underperformance, then you start to have to dig into the actual um, real minutiae of this data and see what's going on. Why is it happening? Is there anything that... You know, for example, are they going behind quite often, which means that they're chasing games and racking up more chances to their opponents? That kind of thing would then come into it. But as it stands, I'm very confident in um, in thinking that Brighton will really see an upturn in form at home this season, starting with this weekend, because, you know, Newcastle, as you said, they got off to a great start. I was slightly concerned the, 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 the sort of method of their um, shooting choices, should we say. 23 shots in the game, 1.98 XG, so 0.08 XG per shot. So they were basically letting fly from everywhere, um, whether that be because of Nottingham Forest's defensive structure that made it really difficult for them and meant that they actually couldn't create decent chances, or if that's just Eddie Howe saying just shoot on sight. Um, that, that's a concern to me um, because in the long run, that is not going to be enough or though taking those kind of attempts isn't going to be enough to win your football matches. Um, another big sort of blot on the copybook for me is is the away form and process under Eddie Howe so that it was really, really bad away from home. The results were okay. I think they, they pretty much won and, and lost at the same rate when Eddie Howe took over away from home. But the process was shocking. Uh, 1.07 expected goals for 1.94 against. So they were conceding quite a lot of uh, more good chances than they were creating. So um, I'm definitely looking at getting Brighton on side again. The plus 152 about a Brighton win did tempt me, mm. but given what I've said about their home form and the, the sort of potential unreliability of the of the results mirroring the performances, um, just taking a little bit more of a cautious approach and, and taking Brighton minus 0.25 on the Asian handicap, which is plus 115. So that basically means that if Brighton win, we get a full payout. If the game ends in a draw, we only lose half our money. Um, so we do get a little bit of security there. And obviously if Newcastle win, then this bet's a loser. But I think that Brighton will get at the very least a draw in which case we'd lose half the money but i'm quite confident they'll be able to get a win uh, th- that was my lean as well uh but you nailed it there is a little bit of a hesitation because of their home form last season you know it, it jumps off the page when you look at the uh, at the away form table you're right 16th best but they have an expected goal differential of plus 8.1 like it's just it, it it doesn't line up, and this was a side, and you know, Brighton away from home picked up the fifth most points in the Premier League last season. So, is it stylistically? Is it the fact that you know the the, the longer term criticism of Brighton is they haven't had that true finisher, and perhaps they're better when they sit back, well organized, and play on the counter attack. Um, I'm not sure if you're a Danny Welbeck truther over last mm-hmm. after last weekend, but like th- these will be the questions. Like Brighton needs to go out and do it, and that's why I think playing with the handicap here, Jake, makes a whole lot of sense. Definitely, yeah. And, and I'm not a Danny Welbeck truther, absolutely not. I think um, <laughs> it's incredible short-termism for some ex-Manchester United pundits to be saying, oh, they should be signing him based off one game. I mean, come on. like yeah. Literally, the way Manchester United played and set up was ideal for how Welbeck likes to play, um, yeah. which just, just basically provides a load of space. Um, he's a big lad. He's a strong lad. He pulled himself onto Martinez and, and caused him all sorts of issues. So um, he won't get that easier game very often this season I don't think um, which means he won't show the kind of flashes of brilliance which he did as often um, but yeah I agree I think 
I am, I'm slightly surprised that they've not dipped into that market and brought in um, a striker at the very least, whether whether that be a proven goal scorer or um, sort of a, a youth player that we, that we can expect to come through the ranks in the next few seasons. Um, be interesting because they have dipped into the South American market quite a lot recently uh, and we're yet to sort of see any of those players brought into the into the first team. So it'd be interesting to see if they are if the plans are to for those guys to really be the sort of focal points in forward areas. Uh, but you've got to admire the business. I mean, getting rid of Basuma, I say getting rid, selling Basuma for a profit, selling Kukurea for an extortionate fee. Um, and Caicedo looked like the best player on the pitch last, uh, on, on, on yeah. sun, uh, Sunday against Manchester United. He was absolutely fantastic. And, uh, and as I said, just playing with the attacking fullbacks and March playing in there and, and Trossard playing at wing back. Not really missed a beat with uh, Kukurea and Basuma missing. So, yeah, it's an exciting time to be a Brighton fan, I'd say. Just a quick note on uh, Newcastle. They've lost John Joe Shelby for a significant period of time. He is a thigh um, injury that's going to keep him out for the duration of at least six weeks. Um, but uh, Bruno Grimmerich has been so good in that position and a healthy Trippier. Remember, Kieran Trippier was brought in, but then basically missed the duration of, of last season through injury. It, it, it's like a brand new signing at right back for this side. And Callum Wilson is a player that's known to get off the hot starts. He scored in the opening match, match of the season the last three years games, but um, it, it, it's it's a side I think more people thought would be more active in the window in the transfer market uh, based upon their ownership situation, but they simply weren't. But maybe a little bit of continuity helps sides like this at the beginning of seasons as well. Absolutely, yeah. And, um, you know, the continuity in the dugout and on the uh, with, with the general squad is important. And I think that's one of my major issues with Nottingham Forest at the start of the season is the fact that they've brought in so many players, such a high turnover, um, that it means that it could take them a while to gel and find a system that suits. But in terms of Newcastle, I, I've got no problem with the way in which they've gone about their business. I think they've been incredibly smart, very, very astute. Um, they've seen what's happening in Everton Um you know, down in Merseyside and the fact that they're they're strapped with FFP issues, which means that they are struggling to sort of bring players in and uh, they're having to balance the books regularly. So they'll not want to suffer the same fate, basically, as what Everton have. And, and you know, ultimately it's happened for Everton for two, three years now. And that's why they're near the bottom end of the table. They were last season and they probably will be again this season. So Newcastle will be wanting to do it smart. And uh, I think that's the way forward, to be honest. It's, there's no rush in this thing, is there? Everyone wants things yeah. tomorrow, but there really is no rush. And, and it might be better to wait two, three years before they really start spending the big books because then, you know, Klopp and Guardiola might have moved on by then. And then the title does become a real possibility. <laughs> All right. So Jake and I are aligned here. Bookmark this. Uh, we both like Brighton with the handicap here. Uh, let's move on. Still on Saturday, the champions go back to the Etihad. It was easy business for them in their opening game at West Ham, a 2-0 victory. The Erling Holland era has started with a bang for Manchester City. Two goals. A pen was one of them. As they were in, simply put, they were in cruise control, 75% possession and a 2-0 away win. A flying start for Bournemouth, a favorite for most to go straight back down to the championship. They started off with a 2-0 victory over Aston Villa. Lurman of a set piece, Kiefer Moore, a powerful header on a second phase of a corner kick as well. Uh, They only had an XG that game of 0.6, but good news for them. They were solid defensively and Aston Villa offered very little expected goals against of just 0.7 in that game. City have dominated this matchup over the years. They've won their last 11. And in seven of those victories, they've won by two goals or more. Uh, in their head-to-head, there's been more than two and a half goals scored in six of the last seven times that they've played. Uh, look, you're not going to get much value for, 
or any value for a city victory here, minus 1272, <clears throat> plus 1221 for a uh, for a draw here, and plus 3846 for an away win for Bournemouth. Uh, are you looking at the handicap? Are you looking at the goals total here? Uh, where do you go for a game like this where there's such an overwhelming favorite? Yeah, th- this is a really tricky punting game um, to start, try and find something because, as you said, that Manchester City are massive favourites, which means that every single market is really, really tight. So just looking at the, you know, both teams to score, in terms of both teams to score, no, you're looking at minus 245, which is really short. Um, and the, likewise with Manchester City to win and uh, both teams not to score. So win to nil is at minus 211. So yeah, that that that's really short. Um yeah, and it's, it's up to you, really. Like I think that's it's a highly likely to occur, but to to win some any you know some major money, you're gonna to have to put some major money down on that uh, that kind of market, and then you run the risk of a Bournemouth counter attack goal. Um, so yeah, I, I was just looking, like you said, at the handicap, and uh, the line is it's currently set around uh, the two point seven five, uh, which is like said minus one oh five. I'd take that. I think I think Manchester City win this quite comfortably. I think they win probably by three goals. Um, yeah, it, for me anyway, that, that I can't see Bournemouth scoring, and and the way in which City played in that first that first game, they could easily rack up three, four, five, as they tend to against newly promoted teams. Um, Erling Haaland looked frightening. I thought um, West Ham afforded him way too much space, uh, and, and Bournemouth, as you said, they you know they, they got to a good start, but nothing to be banging home about. It was a very fortunate result. Um, I did some calculations and based on the chances created by both teams in the Bournemouth filler game, uh, a goalless draw was the most favourite outcome at 33%. So um, a third of the time that game ends goalless, but but Bournemouth were, um, you know, one of the other 6-7% chance that, that managed to nick the win. So yeah, it's going to be a difficult, difficult game for Bournemouth, difficult afternoon, and it probably will be damage limitation. And, uh, and I do feel as though West Ham, to some extent, had that mindset last weekend because it went to 2-0 early in the second half. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know if Moyes just just gave Pep a little look and said, "Okay, we'll we'll, we'll stop now," because it just seemed as though the game was just over. <laughs> Neither team was playing after that. <laughs> West Ham stopped attacking, um, stopped hassling and, and harrying as much. And Manchester City rang the changes. Obviously, Harlan came off for a little breather. Um, so I wouldn't be at all surprised if if, the, if if it was that kind of game again in which it was just a, just a procession, really. So, yeah, I, I'd be looking definitely at, at City on a big handicap. Uh, minus 2.75, definitely, as you said, is, is the current uh, line. At, uh, maybe go even higher, take the minus three. So if they win by exactly three goals, you get your money back. If they win by four goals, which I think is a real possibility, um, then you get a nice winner at plus 124. But yeah, it, it is literally just... How many you think City are going to win by? Um, and you know, if you have the, if you have the opposite opinion and you think that that Bournemouth can hang in the game and Scott Parker is the guy that can set up to frustrate, then you know that that's probably where the you know the bigger sort of value is because you can get two and a half goal head start on Bournemouth. But as I've said on last the last podcast, I'm really not sold on this Bournemouth squad, and I'm definitely not sold on Scott Parker. So I will definitely be riding the Erling Haaland Pep train this weekend. Yeah, my favorite play. Uh, City to be leading by two plus goals at the half at plus 152. But I hesitate just for a moment. It was early last season. Norwich City play, played Man City and they beat them. It, it was a 3-2 game and it essentially came out of nowhere. And we all know the city that Norwich City had. It's just, <laughs> I, I don't yeah. think that this will be one of those games that something crazy like that happens. But that match is just drilled into my memory and I can't get past it. That's why with odds this steep, 
I'd rather just stay away from this one and yeah. not touch it at all. So no, absolutely. A no bet is definitely um, you know, sometimes is the best bet. Um, and to be honest, most of the time when, when the odds are heavily swayed in one team's favor, when there is such a mismatch there, that is usually my, my go-to, but um, I know what you're saying about the Norwich, the, the, the nagging Norwich game, um, but that was at Carrow Road, right? Yeah, this, is at the, this is at the Etihad. This is where City do their major damage. Um, and yeah, I, I think the, the, 2.75 um, handicap. I think they'll be able to overcome that. All right. Uh, let's move on to the late match on Saturday. Brentford and Manchester United. Uh, look, Brentford fought back valiantly against Leicester City. Salvage a 2-2 draw. Tony in the 62nd. Josh De Silva, great goal scored in the 86th minute. Uh, the debuts for me and Hickey in that game as well for Brent, Brentford. Uh, they've had, added Damsgaard to the, to the ranks as well. And We'll see if he can play a role on the weekend. They're facing a Manchester United side. It feels like they're reeling even more off the field than they are on it. Simply put, nowhere near good enough in a 2-1 home loss to Brighton. United's away form has been absolutely pathetic as of late. They lost their last six away games last season at Palace, Brighton, Arsenal, Liverpool, Everton, City, and only scored two goals in the process as well. Although... Against Brentford last season, it was no problem whatsoever. Two games, two wins, six goals in total scored in this one. Uh, look, looking at the line here, it's an interesting one because Brighton, a home win for them, is playing at plus 282, plus 270 for the draw. And if you like United to bounce back, plus 104 for the away win if you're that brave with Manchester United this weekend. How are you looking at this game, Ozzy? my head is telling me that Brentford will get a result but looking at that price of Manchester United that's quite a big price uh, if you think about what they were last week against Brighton I know it was at home but they were around the well they, they were short favourites weren't they um, I can't remember off the top of my head maybe minus 170 something like that this just seems like a big jump to me because I, I rate Brentford highly Um Absolutely think that they're, they're going to be safe this season, no problem. But Brighton are, in my opinion, one of the top eight, nine teams in the Premier League. So that looked like a massive wow. judgment in error last week, pricing Brighton up so big. This time around, to see Manchester United at, uh, as plus rather than minus is a big surprise. Having said that, the way in which they performed last week, it's really hard to get on side with them because they were shocking. Um, that first half in particular, they were really, really poor. I know there's going to be teething issues. Um, there's going to be, it's going to take them a while to get going. They need more incomings, don't they? But even so, that the players are linked with aren't really um, sort of, I don't know, going to galvanise the club. They don't really get me excited anyway. The likes of uh, Marco Anatovic, who's been rumoured, um, you know, Rabi, Adrian Rabi. It's over now that... Uh... That, that glimmer of hope for everyone else in the Premier League, it's faded away to nothing. It, that deal's not happening, but... Is it not happening? Oh, no, I thought no. it was going to be just another one what in the, the Cavani, Igalo kind of uh, kind of signings now. Um, but yeah, I read the tea leaves and decided that wasn't the way to go. Yeah, well, to be honest, I think even if I was playing at Serie B, I'd be turning Man United down at this moment in time. Um, but yeah, Harsh. I, Harsh. A little, a little bit, yeah. Um, until they, they get their act in order. So, yeah, I found this a really difficult game to try and find something. But my, my initial thought of 
Brentford will get a result is 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 kind of won the day, um, and that's only sort of helped by the fact that I've done some digging into the data, and everything points to the fact that Brentford, particularly at home, are a team to be feared. Um, you know, they, they ranked as the seventh best home team in the entire Premier League last season based on underlying metrics. Um, average one point six four expected goals for one point zero eight against. So if they continue at that level. Like that, we haven't seen those levels hit by Manchester United for probably a year, year and a half now. So if Brentford perform at the same kind of level as they did at home last season on Saturday, then they will probably beat Manchester United. Um, but again, that then just there's just it's it's just some nagging doubts because there are some quality match winners in that Manchester United team still. The likes of Fernandez, the likes of Ronaldo, if he plays, they can win a match on their own. Um, that I am. You know, I'm I'm more drawn towards Brentford on the on the handicap uh, plus 0.5 rather than taking them to win the game. Um, which the plus 0.5 handicaps around minus 112, uh, which basically means that we get payout if Brentford draw or win. Um, I, I I can see this game finishing a draw personally, so I, I'd more than happily take Brentford with that head start um, to to sort of get a result in this game. It's a really difficult one to call, um, but that's probably where I'll be landing on this one. It'd be a small bet from me because I'm not massively convinced on on either team just yet. Uh, And that price is probably a little bit shorter than I'd like. So it would be a small, a small play, but that is definitely where I'd be going with my money. Yeah, I'd I'd stay away from the results. I'm looking towards the the goals total, uh, 2.775. Both games went or three or more goals last season between these two sides. Ronaldo has to start this this weekend uh, and and playing him from the start, a true difference maker. This is also the return of Christian Eriksen uh, to Brentford as well. Um, how much more motivation that adds to either side. I'll, I'll, I'll let you decide that. But Brentford does have still have a couple injuries at the back. James Madison did really well pulling strings, the, the, the strings for Leicester. I thought that Brendan Rodgers did decide a disservice, only making one change in that game. I think defensively, Brentford can be exposed. Um, and obviously, Manchester United are a shambles at the back as well. So <laughs> I'm looking at the goal total over two, uh, 2.75 goals at plus 103. That would be my lean, Jake. Yeah, yeah, I can see it being high scoring. Um, I think, yeah, one of the main issues for Manchester United in this game will be dealing with Brentford's press because yeah. we saw Brighton, they, what was it? It was like 15 seconds into the match, wasn't it? And and they pressed Martinez into a mistake and Trossard had a shot that hit the side of the net. And that's literally set the, the, the tone of the first half. Um, and it meant that Manchester United were scared. They were looking over the shoulders um, throughout the entire first half. And they just couldn't deal with the, the fast transitions either after Brighton won the ball back. So... Uh, Brentford playing a very similar way. They are a, a team that I would call in your face. They really do get after you. Um, and, and, you know, that, that can be picked apart. As you said, there are question marks defensively. If you've got that quality, uh, which Manchester United do to play through that press and beat it, then they can create chances. But, you know, more often than not, that hassling and harrying will lead to a turnover and and potentially Brentford creating chances. So it's going to be it, it's going to be an interesting game to watch because, again, I don't think this is a good matchup stylistically for Manchester United. Uh, to Jake's point, Brentford last year, a plus 10.6 expected goal differential at home, uh, proving to be a difficult place to play um, upon their promotion to the Premier League. So it's Brentford and United the last match on Saturday. Let's shift things to Sunday. I, I love these big games right out of the gate. <laughs> Chelsea and Spurs um, from Stamford Bridge. Uh, Chelsea. Did the job against Everton, full credit them, going to Goodison Park. It was Jorginho late into first half stoppage time. Waddell scored a pen. 18 of his 20 Chelsea goals have come 
uh, through a penalty. Uh, as for Spurs, emphatic victory, the biggest of the weekend, uh, the opening weekend, 4-1 win against Southampton. Sechignon Dyer, Kulusevski scored and an own goal. Kane and Son didn't even find the back of the net, and they still won 4-1. What's interesting here is obviously a lot of hype around Spurs, some questions about Chelsea. But the two sides played four times last season, both in the Premier League and the EFL Cup. Chelsea won all four, and Spurs didn't score a goal in any one of those games. It was completely one-sided. It was like the big brother toying with the little brother in those four (laughs) games, really. Uh, Chelsea in this one is a plus 30, uh, plus 130 uh, for a home win, plus 255 for a draw, plus 228. If you fancy Spurs to come away with an away win here, uh, it, it should be a good one. Uh, plenty of storylines ahead of this one as well. Uh, what's your feel? What are you thinking here, Jake? Yeah, uh, this is a very early, early on big game, isn't it? Um, I, I can't remember usually getting one straight out of the blocks like this. Um, I think it's a, it's a good litmus test for both teams, actually, because as you said, there's so much hype around Spurs, the business they've done, the trajectory they seem to be on, major question marks around Chelsea. So it's a really good test for both teams um, and for the you know the, the us as a betting public and as football fans to see where these two teams are and, and where we can expect them to go. So it's going to be fascinating to sit down and watch. We've also got a really intriguing tactical battle between two, three, four, three systems that operates completely differently, even though they match up identically. Um, so, you know, for all the you the tactic nerds out there that really like this stuff like me, just keeping an eye on that um, tactical cam and, and watching the different formation or the same formation do different things is going to be fascinating. Um, but I, I've got to say, I just, big game early in the season, more to lose than to gain. I'm drawn to the draw just makes massive appeal for me uh, at plus two, five, five. Uh, I think that these two teams, they're now incredibly evenly matched. So not only have they both got a world-class manager in the dugout in Conte and Tuchel, they've also got world-class squads. I think I I personally, I know that you've got some reservations about Tottenham's potential transfer business and their squad. um, But I I personally will put that down as a really high quality squad on par with Chelsea's. Um, And what we saw at the back end of last season under Conte means that the both these two teams are performing at the same level from an underlying data standpoint. So under Conte on the back end of last season or since his appointment, Chelsea and Spurs picked up the exact same amount of expected points, the exact same. So it was 28 games Conte oversaw uh, and both Chelsea and Spurs collected the same expected points. They finished with the same expected goal difference. Um, so they basically were performing at exactly the same level. So you put all that into one massive um, sort of, yeah, building a, a big concoction there. And, and I just I just think the draw, I can't, I can't, I, I think they'll cancel each other out. I, I just can't see one team that stands out more than the other. Um, and then you've obviously got the, reservations like Chelsea's home form last season was really really poor really disappointing you mentioned the head-to-heads um, I think you mentioned the last four didn't you yeah. but it actually goes back much further than that Spurs <laughs> <laughs> have not beaten Chelsea in 12 head-to-head meetings incredible uh, so yeah you have to go back to the 18-19 season in the EFL Cup semi-final um, was the last time Spurs actually beat Chelsea so you know you've got massive question marks on both sides there um, but given how closely matched they are I've and, you know, the early season game, I think both managers will probably take a draw and move on, personally. Um, 
And it's a statement game. If you win and win handsomely, you probably put yourself in the title mix. But there's more to, to there's more to lose than to gain. I think at this stage of the season. Well, I I, I think that there could be something to lose for Spurs in this game. I think this game is vitally important for them in setting the tone and justifying the positive sentiment around this side entering the new season. Chelsea home, Stamford Bridge against a side that you're comfortable with, a side that let's be honest, we'll still probably add an attacking player or two in the window as well. This is Spurs. This is their team. This is what they're going forward with. And coming away with the statement result, I think that could go a long way for them. I'm just not sure if it's going to happen. Like you, this one has a 1-1 written all over it, doesn't it? By the way, you 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 can play at plus 737. (laughs) Oh yeah, the the, the actual correct score. I was just going to say, would you not not say the, the draw would be a good result for Spurs? I think they need to win. I think games like this, I think, I think in games like this against it, this isn't just a Chelsea side that you think is, is, has hit its stride, hit its form, you know, has all the players that Thomas Tuchel wants right now. Um, You know, considerable change across the back line. Like we'll see, you know, you know, Reese James, Chilwell, Cucurella, like these are all very good players. How's it all going to work? Like two of those three are coming. One is brand new and two were out the vast majority of last season through injury as well. Kulabai in the mix, like their, their strength is their midfield for me. And who's going to be able to provide the goals and attack like this Chelsea side. I think they're going to be okay. I think their demise is being greatly exaggerated, but this is the time that you want to get them. If you're Spurs of, of a positive preseason, you've got your players in early, you come away with a, with a, with a, a relatively easy opening, you know, uh, win in the opening fixture. I think the expectation should be for Spurs to go on and win this. I don't think they will in this game, but I think that that's where the expectation should be around Spurs and how they want their season to go. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, you make you make some good points, to be fair. Uh, I, as a club at this moment in time, I think this, and a team, this Chelsea team at this moment in time, this weekend, probably are quite vulnerable. Um, and, you, you know, I think there was a couple of injuries as well last weekend, which could make you know, a major, cause major issues at, at Chelsea ahead of this match. But um, yeah, I, I, I think you make some good points there. And uh, I think maybe, maybe that will prompt Tottenham to try and play more on the front foot. Uh, but this is Conte in a big game. Yeah. And we know, we know how he usually operates. You're going to have to watch them. Um, well, for over the last 10 years with his management, when it comes to big games, he plays deep in counter-attacks. And funnily enough, that's exactly what Tuchel does when he's in a big game as well. Um, so I, I think that we could be in for quite a low scoring game, uh, which brings us on to the, the actual uh, total for the game. Under two and a half, which is at minus 104. I'd be definitely looking at that as a potential angle, just given the two coaches that are involved, the potential importance of the game and, and the fact that these two are so closely matched. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I've got 1-1 as the as, as the correct score. Um, so yeah. I, I think I think we're in line on that one. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a good watch. Um, it might get a little bit niggly at times as, as neither team wants to give too much away. Um, but as you've said, if Chelsea are a bit vulnerable, then I, I do feel as though they'll take a very cautious approach um, and make it a must not lose game which I think would suit both um, I think if you said to Conte before the game would you take a draw I think he'd he say would. yeah I'll yeah. take that and move on um, no, I'm just turning so. the crank turning the crank putting the pouring on the pressure a little bit more because I'd like to see them come out and, and, and do something that's a little bit more progressive here but yeah you're, you're right they they take the draw we might come back to this game for, for my Premier League better the week okay I, I should yeah. also mention that Richarlison is back available after being suspended for the opening weekend of the season giving Conte another attacking player to potentially use this weekend Chelsea is, is Spurs debut so 
Yeah, that, that'd be that'd be helpful. I mean, Kulisevsky's not playing bad, is he? So <laughs> he's got some competition to to get in the team as Richarlison. I, I think he has nine assists since he joined the Premier League. The most in that, over that span, that period of time. What yeah, he's, side, he's, he's double fine. sided. Him and Bentancur have completely changed the complexion of Spurs. Full credit to them. But Chelsea, a difficult team to play uh, to to to, uh, to beat for Spurs, and we'll see how it plays out this weekend. Anything? Else on that, or do you want to head to the to the Monday fixture? Yeah, let's go to Monday. I think we covered that well. Liverpool, their season is in ruins. Well, <laughs> it's actually not a two-two draw at Fulham. You shouldn't read too much into it, based on the fact that Manchester City lost their opening game last season, one 0 to Spurs, and then went on uh, to be crowned Premier League champions. They're back at Anfield, a place where they're absolutely comfortable playing. <laughs> Uh, needless to say, at home. They take on Crystal Palace with a setback opening uh, opening day. Uh, you know, despite the backing of Jake Osgathorpe here, uh, they lost 2-0 to Arsenal at home. Liverpool minus 491 for a home win, plus 581 for a draw, plus 1606 for an away win for Palace here. Nunez, Sal- Nunez didn't start, by the way. It's worthwhile to bring that up. Jurgen Klopp complained about the pitch. Uh, it's worth mentioning as well, uh, courtesy of InfoGoal, that Liverpool did have the highest XG of the weekend and was just on 11 shots. And Palace, they're a team that simply just didn't take their chances. They had 56% of possession, 10 shots. They only found the target twice. I do think that they they they, they completely wasted multiple chances uh, to score on Arsenal as well. Uh, Liverpool have been thoroughly dominant in this matchup. 12 wins in a row against Palace. And Palace, incredibly against Liverpool, haven't had a clean sheet in their last 20 meetings. Uh, how are you feeling about this one, Jake? Um, yeah, I, I'm finding this one of the more difficult games to assess um, from a betting standpoint. I think Liverpool will get the win, but the prices are it's not as extreme as the Man City-Bournemouth game, but we're, we're close. It, it, the short price on Liverpool means that every other market is also fairly short in terms of the goals and the both teams to score and etc. Um, but yeah, the, the, it was a weird, weird game from Liverpool because as you read out, the, the XG total was the, the highest in the Premier League. Um, but they, they just got caught out with a couple of sloppy errors at the back. Um, and and I personally think that if Fulham can cause those kind of problems to Liverpool, Crystal Palace can as well. Um, you know, the way in which you think for the penalty, the way in which Fulham broke away um, on the counter-attack, that's something that Crystal Palace would be looking to do, you know, probably every time they get a chance to. So that, that does make me think that Crystal Palace won't get blown away as they have done in recent fixtures, as you mentioned. Um, and it wasn't so long ago they got beat 7-0 by Liverpool, was it? Um, but the last couple of meetings at Anfield don't read very well either. 4-0, 2-0 and 3-0 last season. Um, so yeah, I, I'll be re- I'll be really interested to see how Vieira approaches this because he has the players to really cause Liverpool some issues. Um, if you remember when Roy Hodgson was in charge, he literally just used to rock up to these kind of games and play a back eleven and just try and counter-attack and score goals. Vieira tries to be a bit more progressive, as we saw against Arsenal. Try to take the game to them and create the chances. Um, and if, if Crystal Palace do that, I do. I think that we could be in for a really high-scoring game because that would open up lanes for Liverpool um, and pro- probably see them create an absolute hat full of chances. So over three on the match goal line, at minus 112, definitely looks like um, a potential betting angle. But... 
the injury problems that Liverpool have in midfield concern me slightly. Uh, obviously, Thiago has been ruled out for six weeks. Um, Naby Keita, we don't know if he's going to be fit to come in. Um, you know, Fabinho, did he get taken off for tactical reasons or did he have a little knock last uh, last week? Harvey Ellick came on, looked okay. Um, Curtis Jones, can he step in and, and, and make an impact? So th- that's probably my only area of concern around Liverpool right now. Um, and given what I was saying about Crystal Palace last week, um, the, the fact that they actually played Arsenal really close, I thought they were they were unlucky uh, not to at least get a goal. I think um, when it was one nil before the the second goal, which was a fortunate own goal, um, I think Crystal Palace were the aggressors and they were the more likely to score that equaliser. Um, I'll be looking at taking Crystal Palace with the handicap. Um, wow. Plus two on the handicap at minus 121. So basically we get a two-goal head start. If Liverpool win this by two goals, then we get our money back. If Liverpool win by one goal, we get a winner. Uh, three goals or more, then you've got um, you know a loser on your hands. But I just feel as though this is a, a real potential banana skin for Liverpool. Another one, um, just, just purely because of the way in which Crystal Palace can operate and have operated um, under Vieira. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that Crystal Palace have been slightly underestimated in that one. It does make me nervous playing at Anfield on a Monday night. I, I mean, this Liverpool side, no one was better um, in the Premier League uh, last season at home. Like an expected goal differential of 39.3. That was almost four goals better than Man City at home. Only nine goals conceded. That's why I look at kind of the bets like a win to nil um, in this one for Liverpool. You know, I understand the midfield, um, the, the midfield losses right now, and the questions about Liverpool. But I, that was the one area where I didn't think Palace did that well against Arsenal. I just didn't think they controlled the middle of the park. Plenty of challenge, uh, chances, plenty of really good attacking talent. But if you go to Anfield, you need to control the middle of the park, and I'm just not sure they're capable of doing that, even with the, the players that you mentioned. You know, either being questionable or unavailable for Jurgen Klopp this weekend. Yeah, I, I think I think. The midfield that he picked against Arsenal, Vieira, was a very, very attacking-minded. Um, like Jeffrey Schlupf is a, is a winger, effectively playing masquerading as a midfielder, and he's doing a decent job, to be fair. But on the bench, you've got the likes of Milivojevic or Will Hughes, that are more traditional midfielders that will occupy that central midfielder. And I think he'll probably use one or both of them in this game and, and really try and shore things up. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he went for a Decore Milivojevic um, double pivot. So just that Milivojevic just provides that extra bit of security. You know, he's not going to get dragged around. He's going to be very disciplined. Um, and then he might also be tempted to push Schlupp out wide just to track those runs of Trent Alexander-Arnold because that's one major issue for any team playing against Liverpool is trying to stop that creative force that is Trent Alexander-Arnold. And, you know, for all the good works that Hardo's going forward, he's not the best at tracking. So I'd be more, I'd probably... I mean, I'm not telling Vieira how to pick his team or, or coach his <laughs> team, but I think that it, you know, for me as a as a as a person who wants to sort of side with Crystal Palace, I'd be very, I'd be much more confident seeing that kind of lineup with um, Schlupp out left, Zahar out right, maybe Ayu in behind Eduard or something like that as a, as a front four with Milivojevic sitting in there. That would make me feel more confident in in the in the handicap bet that I proposed. So um, I think there are options there. That's something that Crystal Palace now do have after a couple of decent transfer windows is that they have options. And, um, you know, they, they've got also got loads more options from an attacking perspective as well. If they wanted to mix things up with Mateta, who's obviously a big, a bigger target um, and, and a you know, quicker runner in behind than Edward, or if they want to bring Ebio in as, as, as another wide man to, to potentially cause issues. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm still quite high on Crystal Palace, despite the result. 
last week. Um, they didn't show me anything um, for me to suggest that that they will you know, be anywhere near a relegation scrap. I, I think they'll still be mid-table, maybe pushing top half. Um, and I think that they are more than capable of causing Liverpool some issues. So, yeah, there, there is obviously that massive frightening point of the fact that you mentioned Anfield under the lights, yeah. Liverpool, they create chances for fun. Um Nunes is an absolute monster. I think he's yeah, he's no. he's frightening. It's, it's funny. People- I just I just can't see him not scoring. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, his Anfield debut scored a great goal against against Fulham. You know that he'll be watching. You know. Erling Holland could have two or three this weekend against Bournemouth, right? Like it, it just seems an inevitability. Like I, I know the goal total set at three minus one twelve. I kind of lean that way. Six of the last eight head-to-head games have gone over two and a half goals scored between these two teams. Um, I, I lean there, but Liverpool have just been so good defensively. Jolta is not available. Those losses in the Liverpool midfield. I'm with you. I just don't love it. But the yeah. peripherals, like the Nunez, the Anfield Monday, like th- th- there's a lot of it that speaks to me. I, I think I'm going to need some team news closer to the, yeah, I, to the match to, to, to kind of hammer home my play. I'm, I'm definitely uh, of that same mind, yeah. Um, if, if, as I said, Vieira takes a slightly more cautious approach and, and tries to tighten things up, then I definitely would be pro-Palace from the handicap standpoint. Um, but yeah, Nunes, as you mentioned, he came on in the 51st minute, managed to get on the end of three big chances equating to 1.54 expected goals. So he basically came on for, what, 39 minutes and accounted for 62% of Liverpool's total XG against Fulham. Yeah. So the, the guy is just a machine at getting in, in good scoring positions, which, um, yeah, as you said, means that the chances of him scoring every single game are extremely high, particularly in, in a, uh, an attacking juggernaut team like Liverpool. So, yeah, if, if, if you can find somewhere Nunes to score, to score first, maybe, then I would definitely be interested because there's only so long or so many games that Klopp can leave him on the bench and he, he comes off and scores that you've got to start him. Uh, just wanted to mention in terms of future plays, if you like Liverpool last week to go on and win the league, you're getting a little bit more juice this week as well. Plus 334 based on their opening match draw at Manchester City's victory. So if you like Liverpool last week, Jake, I, I, I didn't see anything that would kind of dissuade me or make me change the way that I feel. And the opportunity is still there to make a futures play on Pinnacle at plus 334 and get a little bit more something there. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I mean, personally, I, I can't. I'm still not looking past Man City for the title. Um, but you're right. I mean, the the data from last week's draw with Fulham was, um, you know, points paints a very different picture to the narrative. Uh, the narrative being Fulham deserved a point. Liverpool were underwhelming. Yes, to the eye test, they were underwhelming. But based on the chances created. Uh, you know, we, we calculated a, a 45% chance that Liverpool would have scored three goals in that match. Uh, compare that to Fulham, who had just a 37% chance of scoring two from their chances. Um, so, you know, you can see the disparity there and, and the, the kind of what, what the data is pointing at. And you, you mentioned defensively, they, they looked in general, they've been strong. I mean, they limited Fulham to about 0.5 non-penalty expected goal as well, which is a really positive sign. So yeah, if, if you are still high on Liverpool, don't let that draw put you off because they were unfortunate not to win that game. Uh, five matches done in depth. Let's go rapid fire for the final five games. Uh, Arsenal Leicester, one team off to a winning start. Brendan Rodgers will be kicking himself at his side. Didn't come away with the full three points against uh, anything to offer here, Jake. Yes. Um, give me Arsenal minus 1.5 on the handicap. Um, just, you know, I, I was. I, when I tipped up Crystal Palace to get a result last week, it wasn't because I was too low on Arsenal. I was high on Crystal Palace. Um, 
And this time around, I'm very high on Arsenal, particularly because they're at home. I'm very low on Leicester because, um, again, I've not seen anything that's that's impressed me to suggest they will finish higher than eighth. Um, yeah, they, they were good Arsenal first half, really, really good. Makes a nice change for them not to crumble under the pressure as well. Um, and last season, they ranked as the third best home team in the division based on all the major metrics, expected goals, expected goals against, expected goal difference, expected points. Only Liverpool and Manchester City bettered them. Um, so that, that's a massive tick in this column. And uh, the fact that they were creating 2.2 expected goals for per game at the Emirates is, is a huge bonus. Um, it's a yeah. huge plus. It just makes it, it makes me confident that they're going to have no problems creating chances. Um, and then you go, you go to Leicester and as you said, they blew a lead at home. They'll be kicking themselves, but, they're really fortunate to have a two-goal lead in the first place. They created just 0.58 expected goals. So some clinical finishing, which is not always going to be um, sustainable and be the case. And, and then if you go to long-term, they've lost the XG battle in 11 of 15 Premier League games. The last 15, which is a massive concern. And away from home, they were convincingly second best um, on average last season. Expected goal difference per game of minus 0.87. So really low on Leicester, really high on Arsenal. And I think that Arsenal could win this one quite comfortably. So minus one and a half on the handicap at plus 143. I love the over the total of 2.75 at minus 113. Leicester City love to ship goals. Danny Ward has done nothing to show me that he's a Premier League goalkeeper as well in <laughs> Arsenal at home. Um, look, um, look I, I'm not sure what number I wouldn't like taking the over in that game. Uh, Villa and Everton, two sides off to losing starts this Premier League season. Two sides with managers whose reputations are, are probably bigger than they should be based upon how they played rather than how they managed. Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, you know, pick your favorite who may be the first manager sacked. I actually have a third play. I didn't um, make a play on either one of those, but it's a big game for both sides. Everton gets a, a couple new players in in Onana and Connor Cody uh, goes to Goodison Park. Ben Godfrey broke his leg. The Aston Villa were just downright poor at Bournemouth. Uh, what do you make of this one? I think this is going to be a very poor game, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I'm taking the unders again, an Everton game involving under 2.5 goals. What a, what a surprise. Um, minus 117 for that one. Uh, all the reasons I mentioned last week, the fact that under Lampard, they, as a team, have been creating next to nothing. Um, they've averaged just 1.09 uh, sorry, less than that. 1.01 expected goals for uh, per game uh, under Frank Lampard and Villa. That was the main issue I had with them last season. Defensively, they were really good. They they definitely improved under Gerrard. But going forward, given all the talent that they have at their disposal, they were really underwhelming. Just the 1.23 expected goals for per game. So two really blunt attacks going head to head and two teams where defence is definitely the strong suit. So I've taken the under two and a half. Uh, Everton, the... Joint worst away side in the Premier League last season, just 10 points, 10 points away from home. But Villa, nothing to, to, to scream at in terms of their home form, uh, just 23 points at home, 15th best in the Premier League last season. So predict the, your, your prediction for ugly or a little bit of a grind. Uh, I'm with you on that. Southampton leads. Southampton are actually a little bit of a home favorite here. Uh, they obviously got thrashed by Spurs. Leeds United um, with a home win over Wolves. 2-1 was the final there. Uh, do you have any feel for what to expect in this one? Um, not particularly, no. I definitely wouldn't have Southampton as strong a favourite as what they currently are. Um, not sold on them at all in terms of you know, the way in which they finished last season was really, really bad. The, the signings don't inspire, given that they're, they're all young kids that are improving at this level. Um, and yeah, I, I think what Leeds have done... Um, 
the, the signings they've made look very impressive. Um, you'll know a bit more about, um, is it Aronson who's come in? Yeah. Um, he, by all accounts, was absolutely fantastic, as was Tyler Adams. Um, and, and yeah, I, just looking at the XG trends and, and Jesse Marsh, at the back end of last season, after Jesse Marsh was appointed, Leeds actually ranked as the 10th best team in the league based on expected points. So they're definitely trending in a positive direction. So I've got a very positive outlook on Leeds at the moment. Um, so I'd be taking them plus 0.25 on the handicap at minus 108. Uh, it's the American Revolution going on at Leeds. <laughs> Badford spent time. Harrison spent time in the United States. Adams, Aronson, Marsh. Um, the party's on there. And their side uh, looking better than I expected in just in terms of the overall play. You know, my feelings on Wolves, I don't think much of them, but uh, a decent home win. And so that then only one win since February uh, in the Premier League. Uh they're due for a home win, perhaps leads, you know, away that, 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 that might be the, the way forward for Southampton. I'm staying away from this game. Uh, aforementioned wolves, uh, they take on Fulham. Um, th- this game for me is absolutely dog's breakfast. I just don't rate <laughs> wolves. Uh, Fulham. We'll see. I, I, I feel like they punched above their weight at home. Uh, Craven Carthage, Mitrovic was a beast. But going up against this Wolves back line, I don't think that, uh, I think that things will be a little bit more difficult going away for home, from home this weekend for Fulham. What do you think here? Yeah, I I tend to agree, but I do, I just, I can't be having Wolves at that kind of price. Um, you know, that might look big to some, the fact that obviously Fulham Plus 142. Yeah, that might look quite big to some, but um, the way in which they finished last season was uh, relegation worthy from an underlying number standpoint. That has to be taken into account. And it has to be said that the business that they've done doesn't really inspire either. And, um, you know, that, that team that played against Leeds, it looks good enough to stay up, in my opinion, but I don't think they'll be hitting the heights that they did under the uh, the kind of uh, Nuno era where they finished seventh in back-to-back seasons or even last season when they finished 10th. So, yeah, uh, slight concerns about them. Fulham, I think that they'll be... I, I don't see a reason why they change approach here, to be honest. Um, I think that they've... They, 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 can and will play in a very attacking manner under Marco Silva, particularly against teams they fancy they, they can beat. Uh, and I think Wolves, with that slight formation change to a, a back four, trying to be a bit more proactive, I think that could lead to um, Wolves being involved in a few more high-scoring games than uh, than last season. Usually when we think of Wolves, we think 1-0, 2-0 or 0-0. Um, but I, I think we could see them being a bit more adventurous and a bit more interesting to watch. I was looking at both teams to score at minus 118. Um, as you said, Mitrovic is an absolute beast and I don't think there's too many defenders or too many defensive setups that can actually contain him um, if if Fulham continues to play for, to his strengths, which is get the ball out and cross it. Yeah, basically that's it. Uh, yeah. by, the, by the way, Bruno Lodge is my, um, my, my preseason, my future play for first manager sacked. So yeah, I like that. Um, so I I do not like Wolves to win at plus one forty two. I'm staying away from that one completely entirely. My my second favorite play is in the final game that we need to deal with. It's on Sunday. Uh, Nottingham Forest. It's going to be great to see Premier League football back at Forest. They face West Ham. West Ham at minus one ten is screaming out to me. I know how poor they were against City. That was really the worst team that you can play on opening day. The Hammers offered little to nothing in that game. But with all the changes at Nottingham Forest, it's going to take some time for Steve Cooper to get this new team back together. Jesse Lingard offered absolutely nothing. And West Ham, the team that he kind of stuck his nose up at and decided not to join, I think that David Moyes and company will have something a little bit more to prove in this game as well. Um, What do you make of this 
final match of the weekend. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I, I'm surprised to see West Ham at a very backable price there yes. at minus 110. Um, I wouldn't put anyone off backing that at all. But for me, I, my best bet in this is the under two and a half in, uh, at minus 106. I think the way in which Forrest will set up and have set up under Steve Cooper is to be difficult to beat. Uh, we saw the defensive process in the championship last season was fantastic. They were going at around one expected goal against per game. I don't think that will change. I think that the way in which they, they, he sets his team up, the system he likes to play, means that they restrict the quality of chances that their opponent creates quite well. Um, we saw that against Newcastle. I know they lost 2-0, allowed nearly two expected goals, but the, the, on an individual shot basis, they had a very low chance of being scored. Um, and I think that will lead to quite a few Forest games going under 2.5 until until they find their feet and the, the the new players get bedded in, in which case we might start to see things open up a little bit more as they gain a bit more confidence. Uh, but yeah, I'd be looking at a low score in West Ham win, to be honest. All right. Uh, we just have about time to get to our bet of the weekend. Your favorite play that's on the pinnacle board uh, once again, your best odds are found at pinnacle.com for the Premier League. Jake, what is your best bet of the weekend? Yeah, I found this weekend a lot more difficult than last weekend to nail down a favorite bet. Um, but I have to say, I mean, spoken through it and uh, and written it, written it up, it's the draw in the Chelsea Spurs game at plus 255. Um, that might seem like a, you know, quite a, a big price, like a longer shot, if you like, than, than a, a bet of the week, which we tend to be a little bit shorter and close to the money line. But um, yeah, I just I just feel like these two are just so evenly matched from um, the dugout to the pitch to the underlying data that the draw just, just seems a little bit too big. My best bet of the weekend, same match. Uh, the under two and a half goals at minus one Oh four. Uh, we both mentioned it just, this one screams a one, one or something like that. Uh, six of the last eight times they've played, they've gone under the two and a half goal total. So I think that th- that speaks to me. Uh, I also don't mind Chelsea to score first. They've done so the last six times that these teams have played. You can get that and find that at minus one Oh nine as well, but it's under the goal total in this one for me. Um, and we'll, and we'll see how that plays out. I like the West Ham away win, but I have to go under the total in this game. Yeah. So that's what did you say the um, the price was of the actual correct score one one in that game? Uh, plus seven thirty seven. Yeah, that that's so. that's a nice that's a nice play as well. I, I'm with you. I think one one looks really really plausible in this one. So if both of us think that, you know, it's going to be like a a 4-3 thriller or something (laughs) along those lines. Uh, Look, uh, week one was great. It's great to have the Premier League back. But this weekend, we'll find out a little bit more as the reverse fixtures, or not the reverse fixtures, uh, the teams that played away, play at home this weekend. And we have a little bit more data to use about what these sides look like for this season. Um, We should also remind you, go to pinnacle.com slash betting resources. Andrew Beasley, our good buddy, um, check out his article on soccer clubs without their best players and what that means in terms of results. And Pinnacle.com is your location for all the best odds in the Premier League. I can't stress that enough. Um, We get a list of all the different games. Uh, Villa Everton draw the best odds. Uh, Leicester City Arsenal home win for Leicester City, the best odds. Go down the list. You find them at Pinnacle.com as well. And follow Pinnacle on Twitter at Pinnacle 
and at Pinnacle Sports on YouTube. I am Gareth Wheeler at Gareth Wheeler at Jay's Oz OZZ is where you find Jake as well. Uh, all the best of luck this weekend and I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely, yeah. Have a good one. Enjoy. And you got a new nickname, the Wizard of Oz or the Wizard of Odds. Yeah, Whatever. That's definitely I'll, I'll sticking, you, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let you play with that and then we can figure <laughs> out what we want to settle on for next week, okay? Awesome, yeah. On behalf of Jake and everyone at Pinnacle, I am Gareth Wheeler. Wheels down this weekend, or for this week. Enjoy this weekend. This has been EPL Insights, courtesy of InfoGoal and Pinnacle.com.